0: You want to go ahead and read the thing?
1: Oh, yes. It'll be a whale of a time. In 1850, American novelist and former whale ship sailor Herman Melville began writing an enormous book about a whale titled The Whale. An odd mishmash of theology, metaphysics, and adventure, critics in both America and Britain found it to be poorly composed, badly structured, and echoing that children who would be forced to read it in their high school mm-hmm. English class about 500 pages too long. The first print run of 500 copies was an immediate loss to the publisher and almost ended Melville's career as an author. The plot centers around a whaleboat captain's lifelong and obsessive hunt for Moby Dick, an albino sperm whale haunting the whaling grounds of the Pacific. But it's really a story about endurance, mysticism, adventure, conscience, spirituality, and the business of flaying and boiling a 50-ton whale and it ends with one of the most brutal shipwrecks in American literary history. Melville was inspired to write the work that later became known as Moby Dick after spending four years as a sailor aboard the whaler Akushnet. There he met a Nantucketer named William Henry Chase, who gave young Herman a copy of his father's memoir to ease the relentless boredom of the whaling voyage. This book was not an ordinary memoir. It was the story of Owen Chase, the first mate of the ship called the Essex, that had gone down in the same endless patch of ocean where Herman Melville was now reading this memoir some 20 years before. The story inspired Melville to spend the next 18 months of his life writing an epic maritime adventure, a story that ends with a shipwreck caused by a massive and very angry sperm whale. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the real-life events that inspired that ending, the 1820 wreck of the whaleship Essex.
0: Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, And their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella, your host for this episode.
1: And I'm her brother Greg, the co-host for this episode.
0: So our sources for today are a handful of books, including one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, That would be Nathaniel Philbrick's In the Heart of the Sea.
1: I have not read that one.
0: You gotta read it. It's so good.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. And we pair it with Owen Chase's memoir... Narrative of the most extraordinary and distressing shipwreck of the whale ship Essex. Don't you love those titles?
1: I I I <laughs> You know love, exactly
0: what you're getting. <laughs> exactly.
1: I love it. I love it. it. It's 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 a title and a synopsis.
0: What do you know about whaling?
1: Not a lot. I know that it was a source of oil, and I have no idea how they really got the oil out of the whales you couldn't like drill into a whale so i assume they just yeah you can't squeeze it out unfortunately yeah yeah you put them on a whale press maybe i don't know um (laughs) not
0: recommended but
1: but no i mean i know it involved being out at sea for long stretches of time uh punctuated by short bursts of activity as you tried desperately to kill an animal that was in many cases as big or bigger than your ship Uh, from tiny longboats that were lowered into the water, and you kind of had to chase these things down. It sounds very much like something I would not have any fun
0: doing. Uh, It was not a fun industry, yeah. No. So whales were actually abundant off the Atlantic coast of New England. That's where this whole business started. Okay. Okay. Um, long before the arrival of the Europeans, the Wampanoag people, who live in what is now Massachusetts and Rhode Island, they became okay. adept at killing shore drift whales. Uh, those are baleen or right whales that have been swept into the shallows. And what they would do is kill it and then haul the carcass to shore and process it for meat, fat, and oil. Uh, they would okay. also use the bones. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I mean, not great for the whale, but pretty standard I mean, hunting.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it makes hunting more sense is... to
0: me than what this becomes. Yeah. It, it's like a fishing project. Yeah, exactly. There you go. The Europeans, when they get to this area, they immediately start hunting whales in deep water, which is a completely okay. different proposition. Yeah. Uh, so they're using their larger ships to chase down and kill whales with harpoons. Okay, so they would go out, they would get a whale, and they would come back it was It was kind of a a week long thing instead of a what it turns out okay. later okay uh whales were hunted for at first for meat, you can eat the sure. meat, it's not great, it will keep you alive
1: naturally, naturally.
0: uh so in the eighteenth and early nineteenth centuries, as the industrial revolution is really picking up steam,
1: okay. Oh, I see what you did there. That was pretty good. Yep. (laughs) Because there's no electricity yet, right? (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Well done. Uh, Apologies.
0: The business of whale hunting at this point really takes off because whales have a lot of fat on their bodies, like tons and tons of fat. If you kill a whale and you render the blubber, if you boil it for long enough, it turns into an oil that is just perfect for lubricating machinery. Really? Yeah.
1: That's what whale oil was used for? Uh Uh-huh.
0: There's a fun fact for you.
1: So you just like boil the, you'd skin a whale and boil it, basically? We'll
0: get to the processing. I'm just trying to tell you what the Uh, end result is. Okay. Whale fat, if you don't have a factory to use your whale fat on, you can also use it for a lamp oil that burns cleaner and with less of a smell than the other oils that are available to people. Okay. You can also make a luxury candle. From whale oil. Okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Wait, how is it a luxury candle? I'm sorry. You need to explain that
0: one. Sperm whales especially have this oil in their head called spermaceti, and you can use it to make a candle that burns for a long time. It burns really clean, and it burns really bright. These are the candles that um, Ben Franklin used when he had to stay up late working on his inventions.
1: So they didn't, like, soot up the place, basically? Yeah, exactly.
0: They don't smell bad. Huh. They're bright. Or they let the wick burn brighter. I don't know how this works. I'm sorry. But they're <laughs> candles that are much more expensive than other. Sure. Than, you know, like a tallow candle or a beeswax candle. Right,
1: right, right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool.
0: And remember, this is before electricity. So whale oil becomes just incredibly important to the American economy almost as soon as America becomes independent. So it goes like um, cotton, tobacco, lumber, whales. Wow. Yeah. That's
1: crazy. Like, for an industry that pretty much doesn't exist today...
0: Oh, yeah, it died very, very suddenly. <laughs> like, that's crazy. <laughs> but for a while... That's crazy. It was yeah. definitely what you wanted to have stock in. Speaking huh. of stock, in order to be okay. profitable, a whale ship would go out to sea and just kill and process whales until they have a hold full of oil.
1: Wait, they could do this out on the ocean? Oh, yeah. Like
0: they... So whale oil doesn't okay. spoil... The way oh, other
1: okay.
0: organic oils do. You can just barrel it up and it's good good to go for a long time.
1: So they would have like a way to render the fat on board?
0: Yeah, so they would actually have like a mini factory. Um, they would have these brick furnaces. What? Yeah, okay. it's, it's okay. wild. It's a wild industry. So the whale ship was not just a ship, right? It had this huge cargo yeah. hold and it also had a full-on whale slaughterhouse abattoir rendering Uh, plant
1: okay okay okay
0: imagine the smell
1: (laughs) Uh, i'm trying not to um I'm, i'm also imagining this is kind of wasteful like did they just like essentially cut off the the outer layer of you know the whale the blubber and the skin and all that stuff and then just dump the rest in the ocean
0: yeah the blubber is on the outside so what they would do is is peel the skin and blubber off in strips yeah, so you would end up with like and a chunk and then you would boil it. And when it was boiled down into oil, you would cool the oil and pour it into a barrel.
1: Barrel it up. Mm-hmm. And then they just dump the, the whale carcass back in the ocean, I assume.
0: I mean it's not the worst <laughs> thing to do with a, a whale carcass, I, I guess. I guess. Uh and also if they were if it was a sperm whale, they would have the additional step of chopping off the head.
1: Oh, to get the special... To get the spermaceti out. Okay. And they would also
0: be rummaging around in the intestinal tract for ambergris. Do you know what that is? It's a waxy thing that builds up in, well, guts.
1: Gold of the sea, man. That stuff's still worth a ton of money. Yeah.
0: Um, And it's a waste product. Whales don't need it. Yeah. They will barf it up sometimes and it will like. So
1: you don't need to kill them for it. No, you 100%
0: don't. You can find it on the shore sometimes. Um, It's really? like a big, stinking, hideous looking ball of wax. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you have the sperm whale like right there and you're already inside it, you are like rummaging around in the guts to pull it out. You're not waiting for okay. it to be yeah. expelled, yeah, that, I guess is that my. That makes sense. It's. It's, as as you've already noticed, we're not using the entire whale here.
1: No. We're just taking like bits and pieces.
0: Sure. So it's going to take a while to kill and render enough whales to fill up the hold of a whale ship. Uh, The average whale ship journey would be two years if they were extremely lucky. Okay. And And uh, four years if it took a little longer. Four, mm-hmm.
1: so you would be out in the ocean for four straight years. Yeah, is that is that a long ocean voyage? I mean, I'm I, I'm having trouble trying to like reconcile that with like you know trade captains that would be out at sea for months, but not years straight.
0: Well, you got to remember there are no there's no Panama Canal. So in order to right. get from the east coast of the United States, down, which is where around. we're starting, you have to go yeah. down and around Cape Horn, and then you have to go up. Um, these ships did not have engines. they're Obviously, they right. are dependent on the trade winds and the currents. So they have to follow okay. that up to the north, uh, cross over the equator, and then kind of loop okay. around into the whaling grounds, which is where the sperm whales like to hang out at certain parts of the year.
1: Okay. So it's definitely, so it's a- there's a
0: lot of travel, a lot of slow travel. Yeah. Um, it takes three to five days to process a whale once you catch it. Uh, and there's okay. no guarantee that you're going to be catching one whale after another if you're on a whale right. ship. Right. It could okay. take a long time. I read this about Moby Dick, which I thought was really interesting. There are these yeah. long stretches of really boring prose in Moby Dick.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So I read a critic who said that Melville was trying to capture the feeling of being at sea and having absolutely nothing to do while you just floated (laughs) along looking for whales.
1: So by, by writing a very boring section, what he's trying to do is just bring you into that experience.
0: Yeah, the boredom is intentional. It's a stylistic choice. I was like
1: i was like no it's not he's just not very good at
0: this sorry no because it definitely has a different pace than a lot of his other stories uh there's no boredom in bartleby the scrivener which is also very purpley and you know overwrought (laughs) Um,
1: extremely purple
0: i i just thought that was kind of interesting that's funny that's interesting
1: okay 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 all right i'll buy it
0: so the center of the american whaling industry so where all these whale ships are coming from is right. an island off the coast of Massachusetts called Nantucket. So Nantucket is a small island. Um, you, it, it doesn't have a lot of farming. It yeah. has some really good fishing. Um, yeah. And it's way off the coast of Massachusetts. It's, yeah. it's not the kind of place you can just canoe over.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So it kind of Definitely makes sense not. that Nantucketers are expert sailors, um, yeah. And they also develop this kind of sailing community, so okay. they have this kind of in-group where they stick together and look out for each other. Uh, they're uh-huh. sharing a lot of kind of institutional knowledge about whaling, <laughs> so the places okay. they'd been, the things they'd seen, uh, the different kinds of whales they had hunted.
1: So in in the world, the people of Nantucket are the they are the the foremost experts on whaling.
0: The whaling niche. It's all oh, right. Nantucket. Exactly. Yeah. If you have a whale ship, you want a Nantucket or captain and you probably want people from Nantucket for your mates as well. Okay. They're okay. the experts.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay.
0: But the majority of the sailors from Nantucket are not making big money off these long voyages. Okay. So whale ships are run like corporations. They have owners and shareholders, and everybody's expecting a return on investment. Okay. So crews are paid by share, and their wages are dependent on both their position in the crew, their job title, and how much whale oil the ship is bringing back. Okay. So a captain might get one-eighth of the profit from a voyage, but an ordinary seaman, who's at the very bottom of this hierarchy, he could expect Go. one one hundred and seventy fifth or one three hundred and fiftieth of the profit. Jeez. Yeah, it's way below minimum wage. No matter how many hours you are getting, say. no matter how full that's, the hold is when and you come back. That's for four
1: years of labor out on the ocean. I
0: mean, free room and board, all the fresh air you could want. Uh, yeah, but no. <laughs> Great stories. Yeah, no. fantastic okay. stories. <laughs> Owners of these ships would make sure that the crew worked for the lowest possible wage. And in addition to that, the crew was charged for anything they broke or lost or used from the ship's stores. So it's completely possible oh, for a sailor to make something on. like $25.
1: And then be in debt at the end of it because he tripped over a table.
0: Or, you know, well, or he, like you ruin your pants when you're flaying a whale and you go sure. to the ship's store to get a fresh pair of pants.
1: Oh, they had the company store as well. They had the company
0: store. Yeah.
1: D- were the guys actually paid in money or were they paid in scrip?
0: I, I just
1: like this is
0: all I can picture this is, is classic exploitation. The poor guy who and like I, loses a shoe and has to get a pair of shoes oh. from the company store, and then when they yeah, get back host. to Nantucket, they're like, "Hey, you actually owe us money."
1: Yeah. Thanks for your four years for your on our ship years. killing whales and, you know, cutting their skin into chunks. Uh, that'll be nine more dollars, please. Please pay us more for the privilege of doing that for us.
0: I mean, it's not what you're hoping for, but it had to have happened. <coughs> oh, of course
1: it happened.
0: And it's just so you get a sense of who is at the top of this hierarchy. The whale ship sure. Essex is owned jointly by Gideon Folger and Paul Macy of the Coffee okay. Folgers and the Department Store Macy's.
1: Now, now, was was Folger and Macy also out on these ships risking their lives to make any of this money? Or were they Great sitting in very question. comfortable offices? What do you think? <laughs> I'm thinking they were sitting in very comfortable offices.
0: So the Essex is a 238-ton, 88-foot-long, three-masted frigate, and she is built to hunt whales. Yeah. She has a copper sheathing on her hull to protect the wood from the salt water. Yeah. Uh, But that's that's pretty much it for like she's not a warship. (laughs) She's a fishing boat. She's just like a giant, giant fishing boat in 1819. as she's preparing for her seventh voyage out. She is 21 years old, which is pretty old for a whale ship. They have a tough life. But her owners are confident she has a few years left. She's got a few more voyages in her. Okay. So after minimal repairs and scanty provisions,
1: you know, you want to spend the absolute bare minimum to keep these humans alive while they do your job for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, oh, I see. It's a corporation. <laughs> this is
1: sorry. I don't. I keep expecting some humanity in here. That's my bad. Keep this going. Is, keep that going. is
0: not this episode. I'm sorry. She's got a crew <laughs> of 21 men, and this crew okay. is nine Nantucketers, and Whoa. they're mostly in the upper echelons of the ship. In right. terms of job positions. So the captain, right. the first mate, uh, her boat steers, and then some of the ordinary seamen are also from Nantucket, but they are the really young kids who have not been aboard a ship before. So this is like an okay. apprenticeship for them. Okay. Okay. Uh, she also has 12 more men from off the island. Most of those men were recruited in Boston. Okay. Some of these guys were not even sailors.
1: Wait, what? All <laughs> you had
0: to be to work aboard a whaleship was strong. Okay. You needed to have a lot of muscle.
1: So you could haul whales around. So you could haul whales
0: around. So you could okay. hold a harpoon. So you could row because the whale boats that they're using to chase down the whales are boats. They're rowboats.
1: Right. Okay.
0: So if you fit those those criteria, then they'll hire you. They'll just and, hire uh, you. And okay. you'll figure it out yourself when you're aboard the ship.
1: <laughs> One would. Well, uh, hopefully. Hopefully you'll figure it out.
0: So the Essex has a new captain, George Pollard Jr. I think this is his first command. He is all of 28 years old. Okay. Uh, And her first and second mates are Owen Chase, who wrote the memoir that we talked about, and another Nantucketer named Matthew Joy. The rest of the crew is composed of ordinary seamen, uh, plus a cook and three boat steerers. Most of the crew is on the young side. The youngest Nantucketer is 14 years old. Whoa! Yeah, that's a that's a child. It's a child. Yeah, they have Uh a. They also have a fifteen year old, and most of the other ordinary seamen are in their late teens and early twenties.
1: This is. This seems like it's a young man's job, anyway. Like you're not going to. There, there probably aren't a lot of old whalers.
0: You get the sense that it is incredibly hard on your body and your mind and your like emotional state. Um, Sure. If you can do a couple of these voyages and rise in the ranks to become a mate or a captain, it is profitable. Like sure. it's it's comparable to what you would make if you were having a successful career on land.
1: Sure, sure.
0: But you don't see older people in the bottom of this hierarchy,
1: right? Because your body would just give out on you at at some point.
0: Yeah, and for twenty five dollars for four years' work. <laughs> You know, (laughs) there are other things you could do. Well, this crew is also racially diverse. Fully a third of this crew are black men recruited from Boston. Okay. Now, most of the Nantucketers are also Quakers. And I thought this was interesting. You were paid the same if you were white or black or Uh, Native American or Polynesian. Okay. But you weren't necessarily treated the same. Sure. Being paid the same as a step in, r- in the right direction because this sure. is 1820. I mean, we still as... have 40 more years of slavery in the U.S.
1: Yeah. I was going to say that's about as good as it gets, isn't it?
0: At that time.
1: At that time. Yeah. You know,
0: it's not good.
1: That's incredibly progressive <laughs> for the time. <laughs> just.
0: It's interesting when we get to the end of the story and you see who survives and who doesn't. It, okay. it just the Nantucketers cling together. And they have this really, really tight community. It's almost like they're family members, and some of them are related. Right. But okay. there's also a sense of othering.
1: Yeah. So you look out yeah. for
0: your family before you look out for anyone else.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a very human thing to do. Of course,
0: but if you're alone on a boat with 20 other people for four years,
1: you'd think you'd you would think you them. would
0: develop that kind of close bond. It just doesn't. <laughs> or seem you'd to be happen.
1: sick of each other. Or I you'd mean, be really that sick aspect. Of each other, of yeah. Yeah. Oh.
0: So the Essex set sail on August 12, 1819, and (laughs) this is A Voyage of Bad Omens. Oh, no. Here's the first one. Just three days out on the beginning of the first leg of their voyage to Cape Horn, the Essex runs into a sudden storm. I'm going to quote Owen Chase. Okay. Quote, in the second day out, while sailing moderately on our course in the Gulf Stream, a sudden squall of wind struck the ship from the southwest and knocked her completely on her beam ends stove one of our boats, entirely destroyed two others, and threw down the camboose. We distinctly saw the approach of this gust, but miscalculated it altogether as to the strength and violence. It struck the ship about three points off the weather quarter at the moment that the man in the helm was in the act of putting her away to run before it. In an instant, she was knocked down with her yards in the water, and before hardly a moment of time was allowed for reflection, she gradually came to the wind and righted. The squall was accompanied by vivid flashes of lightning and heavy and repeated claps of thunder. The whole ship's crew were, for a short time, thrown into the utmost consternation and confusion.
1: Consternation and confusion.
0: Which seems too mild for this incident.
1: Yeah, that that seems very... I experience that
0: in traffic.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) When I'm driving my car. And if your car were, like, turned on its side briefly and then slammed back down, one right. would assume a greater reaction than consternation and confusion.
0: Because that's what Owen is describing. He's describing a ship coming very near to capsizing. So when he yeah. says she laid down in the water, what he means yeah, that's, is that that's she bad. was <laughs> horizontal to the point that her sails got wet from the waves.
1: And, and that's generally discouraged among seagoing travelers. You want,
0: it, you want the sails to be sticking up.
1: Yeah, they'll that's, catch more wind that way. That's a word starters. of wisdom for me. Yep. yep. Um, and, the, and, the t- and the top part where most people are is intended to not be under the water. We want it floating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Floating yeah, on top of the water. Generally. So, although she writes herself, she loses three of her five whaleboats, which is okay. not good. Um, A whale boat is what they use for actually chasing down the whale with harpoons. So they're these long open rowboats with a shallow draft and room for about five people. Okay, They're not well made. They're almost like disposable Um, in terms of the equipment on the ship. They're constantly being capsized or sunk or just needing repair. So a whale ship should have at least three aboard for hunting one whale. Yeah, And ideally, you want to have five, so you can swap out the crappy ones. Have a couple swears. yeah. Because you've always got one being repaired, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So losing three is a huge deal. It leaves them with only two. So Captain Pollard wants to turn back, because they cannot hunt whales at this point with only two right. whale boats.
1: You're three days out, and your trip's kind of shot, guys. Turn around, go but home. But they're get so more close boats, to Nantucket.
0: There are so many boats yeah. on Nantucket. All they have to do is like make a quick loop... Like, yeah. probably endure some teasing at the harbor, grab sure, some more sure, whaleboats, sure. and head out again. They're only two days behind schedule.
1: Yeah, that's
0: fine. That's not what they do. Why not? <laughs> well, the mates it's... convince him to carry on. They don't want the embarrassment of going home two days out on their four year voyage. Uh... What they tell him is that they're heading to the Azores anyway. Okay. And surely they will be able to buy whaleboats there. Well, when they get there. Okay. 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 When they get there, the only whaleboat they can find is one that has been wrecked and left on the shore. <laughs> <laughs> what? They have to buy a literal shipwreck to make their third whaleboat.
1: Oh my God. And
0: the only thing they can get for food is live pigs.
1: Okay. Okay. I mean, okay. So they just fill up the hold with pigs?
0: The hold is empty. They haven't caught any whales yet.
1: Yeah. So you got some.
0: So got some got room. Enough
1: room for pigs. Yeah. yeah.
0: These aren't big Cap- pigs. They're skinny little guys. So, Sh- yeah sure. Why not? So, apparently, nothing else goes wrong until they head around Cape Horn, the bottom of South America. Okay. okay. There they get stuck in a storm. It's the same kind of thing. They're not expecting it. It hits them from the wrong angle. They almost capsize. Okay. And then, miraculously, they get through it and they are fine.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, it... Is this common? Like, are there other accounts of boats like nearly being turned on their sides and then just everyone's like, No, this is fine?
0: Well, they're long voyages, so they're gonna go through lots of storms. They're gonna have unexpected right. weather.
1: One one would imagine, but at the same time, like
0: I think if you talk to anyone who's been out at sea for a long time, everyone has sure a lot of close. Call has a
1: capsized story. Story. Yeah. Maybe not
0: a capsized story.
1: But a close call story. But
0: a weird storm story or like an unexpected wave thing coming at you in the middle of the night. Okay. Um, I think it's just that the voyages are so long that you're kind of expecting a few bad things to happen. (laughs) So as they're heading up the coast of South America, they start looking for whales. This is where the whales hang out at this time of year. Okay. And they're looking specifically for sperm whales. Sperm whales are the largest toothed predators on the planet. Did you know that?
1: Sperm whales are awesome.
0: They need the their way. teeth because they eat giant
1: squid. Yeah, they do.
0: Uh, they have a highly sophisticated social life. They are great mm-hmm. parents. So, female sperm yeah. whales spend over a decade raising their babies in social groups. Yes. They hunt cooperatively, they communicate using echolocation. They dive to incredible depths. They have incredibly tough and interesting skeletal and musculature systems. And they're just super fascinating.
1: They're really, really cool animals. Can I can I take like a two-second personal sidebar here? Sure. Like one of the first books I ever read that was like a science-based book, I think it was like three or four at the time, had a story in it about a baby sperm whale that gets grabbed by a giant squid and dragged down so that, you know, the squid can eat it and it can't breathe because they're mammals. They need to resurface to breathe. Yes, they do. And then its mother sperm whale dives down next to it, bites the giant squid in half and, like, rescues the baby, pushing it back up to the surface. And it was written by I, I some kind of naturalist. And they were, like, you know, someone who were familiar with sperm whale behaviors. And they're like, yeah, this kind of happens all the time. And then they eat the squid. And I have always had this fear of squid. Mm-hmm. but. My, for me, I, I think this is why I like calamari so much because to me it's sort of like I can eat the squid, and and so sperm whales are like sperm whales are are my buddies. I, okay. I'm a big fan of sperm whales. First
0: of all, that's a terrifying book for a child <laughs> being dragged I mean, to the bottom of the ocean by a giant squid.
1: You 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 uh were these you grew cartoon from the same household I did? Cartoon? No, it was for Wales, It was no. it the I remember the picture being very uh like detailed, like very um you know, that nothing was an exaggerated cartoony kind of image. It was very realistic. Just I would love to find this book again, by the way. If there are any listeners out there who know what the heck I'm talking about, please email uh because I have long since either lost this book or forgotten what it was titled, but I remember it so vividly.
0: I think you get into the National Geographics, is what I think. No, it wasn't the National Geographic, <laughs>
1: although we did have plenty of those. But nice yeah, no, I have, loved, I have always loved sperm whales because they eat giant squid, and I've been scared of giant squid.
0: There so you there go. They're your buddies. They're my buddies. Uh, they are fantastic. They're seriously one of the most fascinating animals animals on this planet. So, of course, we hunt them for the oil (laughs) in their heads and the digestive wax in their intestines.
1: Yes, because um, we kind of need to point out whenever we do a story like this and and a story that's like, you know, a, a coal mining story or anything like that. The coal miners and the whalers themselves aren't really the problem because this is their, this is their job. This is what they need to do to put food on the table for their families. It's the fact that these practices were done so without any regard for either the safety of the people doing them or regard for the environment in which they were taking place. That becomes the problem. Right. So it's the, you know, it's the, the stereotypical 1800s, you know, Fat guy in a striped suit with a monocle and a mustache sitting behind a desk smoking a cigar. That's the, that's the problem guy. Not the, not the actual coal miner going down into the mines or the whalers going out on the ships. Yep.
0: Folder and Macy. Where... Those are the bad guys in this story. So the Essex begins to start catching sperm whales as they are sailing up the west coast of Peru. Okay. And they start to have some success. So for weeks, they're killing a whale every five days. Wow. Yeah, which is exhausting, but uh, profitable. Sure. When they reach Ecuador, they go ashore to reprovision. And this is where one of the ordinary seamen, a sailor, one of the black sailors recruited from Boston. His name is Henry DeWitt. He deserts.
1: He's like, you know what? I, I'm I'm good with this. I'm good with this. I think this is I think this is a good decision on his part.
0: You know, this story is all about bad decisions. This is the one thing we can point to that is an excellent decision. He deserts. Good job. And he completely <laughs> vanishes from the historical record. We have no excellent idea what work. happened to him
1: after that. Excellent work. I have no notes. <laughs> no
0: notes, Henry. Great job. Great job. On October second, eighteen nineteen. The Essex and her now 20-man crew set out again, heading for the Galapagos Islands to reprovision for the next part of their voyage. What they're expecting to do next is to sail into the South Seas and really start picking up whales. Okay. So this is the part of the trip where they're (laughs) expecting to do most of their work, and they're going to burn a lot of calories. So what they do is look for sea turtles. Sure. They collect 180 on Hood Island in the Galapagos. (laughs) God. And another 150 on Charles Island. And if you know anything about Galapagos sea turtles and how incredibly endangered and great they are, yeah, it doesn't make you feel good. (laughs) These guys were just taking hundreds of them at a time, stacking them up in the hold.
1: Mm. With uh, with the pigs, or had they eaten their way through the pigs? I think they were pretty much
0: low on pigs and ready for a change. All right. On Charles Island in the Galapagos, this is where a sailor named Thomas Chapel thought he would prank his shipmates by setting a wildfire as you do.
1: Can we can we talk about this uh, you know this uh, this feels like a cyclical thing like every oh so often people forget that what a prank is actually supposed to be.
0: It's an island, okay, it's an uh, island full of endemic species, yes! incredibly endangered, <laughs> incredibly fragile ecosystem. Has been developing on its own for tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know.
0: So this fire burns for days. It completely destroys acres of vegetation and causes the extinction of at least two species that had been unique to the island. This fire is so bad that when Charles Darwin and the Beagle drop by 15 years later, he's like, what happened here? He remarks on how charred. How little yeah. wildlife there is, how few plants, and how much it still is a blackened wasteland. Jeez. In a story about bad decisions, this is a bad decision.
1: Yeah. Do we, do we have any documentation on whether or not he did manage to crack up his crewmates with his hilarious Light Island on Fire prank? No. And in fact,
0: he didn't ever admit it. Oh. <laughs> because the captain was so mad. <laughs> gotcha. It was that kind of a prank. You know your prank has gotcha. gone bad when you can't take credit for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A month later, the Essex was a 1,000 miles out from the Galapagos and beginning the southern turn that would eventually bring her back to Nantucket on the easterly trade wind. Okay. So they're halfway through their trip. Right. On November 20th, the watch sighted a whale, and three whaleboats were put into the water, leaving two sailors, including the steward, William Bond. They were okay. aboard the Essex to keep the ship running right: And one of the whaleboats, Owen Chase's whaleboat, is nearby because he had just been on the ship repairing it. So there are witnesses when okay. an enormous male sperm whale, an estimated 85 feet long, so the length of the ship itself Yeah. He surfaces nearby and he starts swimming straight for the bow of the Essex at a speed of three knots:
1: Oh my God.
0: It doesn't sound fast. <laughs>
1: No, that's fast. But the Essex is sitting still. (laughs) And that's a whale. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm going to read to
0: you from Owen Chase's memoir. Quote.
1: Yes, please.
0: His appearance and attitude gave us at first no alarm. But while I stood watching his movements and observing him but a ship's length off, coming down for us with great celerity, I involuntarily ordered the boy at the helm to put it hard up, intending to sheer off and avoid him. "'The words were scarcely out of my mouth before he came down upon us with full speed "'and struck the ship with his head, just forward of the forechains. "'He gave us such an appalling and tremendous jar as nearly threw us all on our faces. "'The ship brought up as suddenly and violently as if she had struck a rock "'and trembled for a few seconds like a leaf. "'We looked at each other with perfect amazement, deprived almost of the power of speech.' Many minutes passed before we were able to realize the dreadful accident, during which time he passed under the ship, grazing her keel as he went along, came up underside of her to leeward, and lay on top of the water, apparently stunned with the violence of the blow, for the space of a minute, and then he suddenly started off in a direction to leeward. After a few minutes' reflection and recovering, in some measure, from the sudden consternation
1: oh, there it is again. again.
0: that had seized us, I of course concluded that he had stove a hole in the ship. End quote. Yeah, even with that copper sheathing under the waterline, sure. This whale had knocked a whale-sized hole hole in the bow. Uh, this is not damage that you can fix. No, and the Essex <laughs> begins no. to sink almost immediately. Yeah, yeah, she's just not built to withstand a sixty-ton animal no. <laughs> ramming her bow at three no. knots.
1: That's not that's not in the job description.
0: Nope. There was actually okay. just enough time for the ship's steward, William Bond, to save the navigational instruments and charts and throw some of the okay. provisions overboard in, sh- in sea chests, which float. Right. So they can right. be picked th- up by the whaleboats. Good thinking. Good when thinking. When the other whaleboats arrived back at the scene of the sinking, they managed to salvage some of the sails, uh, okay. the navigational instruments, a couple of the hogs, probably very <laughs> confused, and six sea turtles. I hope the, the other one swam away. Swam away, yeah. Let's just Good. picture that. Yeah, and I hope the whale okay. was okay too. You must have had an amazing headache.
1: I, I'm on team whale on this one, man. Like sure. I, I just sure. I mean, I know that there's this instinct among humans to anthropomorphize the actions of animals, and it probably had nothing to do with it, but
0: I think our instinct is kind of to assume that the whale knew that the ship was killing whales. And attacked it to keep it from killing more whales. Yes,
1: that that's what you would put in the script. Absolutely. But there's no... No, that's, that's not it's what not,
0: happened. In Moby Dick, <laughs> the yes, whale in Moby has Dick, intelligence yeah. and yes. it has kind of uh, acumen, a human thirst for revenge.
1: Yeah, it wants a piece of uh, Ahab
0: but and it gets whales it. whales are animals. And this is a bull yes. sperm whale who is on the hunt. This These are mating grounds, so he's not in his best yeah. mood. Modern research has suggested that because a boat was being repaired on the deck immediately before this, Owen Chase had taken his boat up to hammer in some, gosh, what was he doing? He was either adding canvas to the bottom to make it more watertight or he was replacing a board, but he was hammering. And the theory is that the hammering sounded to the sperm whale like a kind of Aggressive clicking that another okay. giant male whale would make. Whale
1: would make in if it was grounds. just about okay. to attack, and the whale gotcha.
0: attacked the boat thinking it was responded
1: another whale. in kind. Yeah, that makes sense. I- I'm still on team whale on this one.
0: So, in the three whale boats, which are now the only
1: remaining the only boats, <laughs> boats
0: uh, <laughs> nice. the crew of the Essex now has to decide what to do. They are in the middle of absolutely nowhere, so they're drifting right on the equator. It's so far out in the Pacific Ocean that there are no birds, no fish. They're in just empty water. Yeah. Wow. And they're crammed into these tiny, leaky, overloaded open rowboats. And these are crappy boats. Yeah. (laughs) So the nearest (laughs) islands that they can make are the Marquesa Islands, which they could have reached in about a week because that's the way that the currents and the winds are trying to push them. However. That's That's not too bad. The crew of the Essex has never been there, and they've heard stories that the islanders practice cannibalism.
1: Ah. I see. Yeah. They they would have been okay had they done this. They
0: all would have survived. Okay. And they could have done this. Their navigational tools were adequate. Yeah. Yeah. The weather was the, okay.
1: The charts the and boats, they would be following the trade winds. <laughs> the
0: boats are in the yeah. best shape
1: <laughs> that they're gonna be in. They're gonna so be. you might as
0: well. <laughs> That's not what they decide to do. Uh, yeah. They decide to head for the west coast of South America, which is both further away and against the prevailing wind and currents. So this is yet another terrible decision. decision.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: On December 20th, after a month of trying and failing to get to South America, they Mm -hmm. find themselves within sight of land, which had to have been thrilling. Sure. It turned out to be a deserted island. They thought, okay. after consulting with the navigational tools and the charts, that this was Dulce Island, which is an atoll in the Pitcairn Islands archipelago. Okay. Now, they were in that archipelago. They were right about that. But they were actually off by about 70 miles. They're on Henderson Island, which is uninhabited, uninhabitable, uh, okay. with very little fresh water. Nevertheless, <laughs> it's got to be better than the whale boats, right? Right, sure. The crew of the Essex comes ashore and eats every last thing they can, including almost every bird, every egg on the island, um, plus the few crabs and fish they can catch with their hands. The only fresh water is a spring that's only exposed at low tide, and they can only get a couple gallons at a time, which isn't enough to keep everyone hydrated. Yeah. So they realize pretty quickly that they're still going to starve to death, even though they're not at sea.
1: Right. Yep. Okay.
0: So after they have taken the edge off by eating all the birds, they go to work fixing <laughs> up the three whaleboats. And on December 27th, after eating every scrap of food on the island, they leave. Okay. Now, again, they're within one or two days' sail of Pitcairn Island. Okay. Which is inhabited and has been for the past 70 years since the mutineers from the HMS Bounty had settled there.
1: Oh, okay. So okay, Pitcairn okay. has
0: English-speaking people. They have farms, food, and fresh water. Yeah. But the crew of the Essex didn't know it was there. It's not on their charts.
1: Oh, no. Okay. They could
0: have reached it in days. It just breaks my heart. So instead of hopping over to Pitcairn, they're heading for Easter Island. So Oof. three of the crew okay. opt to stay behind on Henderson Island. Okay. Okay. And right. there are three of the crew who were not from Nantucket. Sure. So they're kind of <laughs> looking at their options here and realizing that they're <laughs> not in that really tight knit group.
1: Yeah, we might we might want to not be in those boats anymore. Yeah. Other. Yeah. And they're like, you smart. know,
0: this island can support three people. We'll just stay here. Sure. Sure. It is it is smart of them. So only seventeen of the crew set sail for Easter Island.
1: And they still have all three of these boats, right?
0: Yeah. For now, they do. Right. Within a week, the crew on the whaleboats realize that they're not where they thought they were, because remember they were off by seventy miles from their starting point. Right. So it makes sense that the further they go, the further the less they get off the chart. Okay. So the wind and the currents are just not cooperating. They're not going to be able to make it to Easter Island. Okay. Captain Pollard and Owen Chase reset their course for the Juan Fernandez Islands, which are about four hundred miles off the coast of Chile. Okay. Sidebar, these are the same yeah. islands where Alexander Selkirk was marooned. Oh, The sailor okay. who inspired so Robinson Crusoe. Robinson Crusoe, yeah, okay. Yet another huh. great omen. Yeah, so,
1: so these, yeah, we've bad omens all around, okay.
0: By this time, the crew is in very poor health. They've already yeah. run out of food. Um, they're almost out of fresh water, and they are unable to collect or store rainwater, They do not have have anything with them. They don't have anything they can use to catch fish. They don't have containers. (sighs) Um, They're trying to catch rainwater in the sails, but the sails are so full of salt that the water isn't drinkable. Yeah. They're just,
1: it's a a really
0: desperate situation. Absolutely. Yeah. On January 10th, second mate Matthew Joy dies, and he is buried at sea. Okay. The next day, a storm separates the boats. And first mate Owen Chase's boat completely loses touch with the others. Remember, these are low boats, and they don't have any power except for the oars
1: and the sails.
0: So once they lose sight of each other, that's it.
1: Yeah, there's no way to get back in contact. Yeah. Okay.
0: Two weeks later, on the 28th, the remaining boats lose touch with each other. And one of them, the one that Matthew Joy had been in charge of, is never seen again. Okay. It's... Hard to imagine how awful it would have been in those last two boats as they were separated and starving and dying of thirst. The youngest member of the crew, Thomas Nickerson, describes the ordeal in his memoir. I'm going to read you a quote. Okay. We had experienced the close before night, the scene of our miseries, and I felt many a despairing moment that day that had well nigh proved fatal. It required an effort to look calmly forward and contemplate what was in store for us beyond what I felt I was capable of making, and what it was that buoyed me above all the terrors which surrounded us, God alone knows. Our ounce and a half of bread, which was to serve us all day, was in some cases greedily devoured as if life was to continue but another moment, and at other times it was hoarded up and eaten, and eaten crumb by crumb at regular intervals during the day as if to last us forever. To add to our calamities boils began to break out upon us, and our imaginations shortly became as diseased as our bodies. End quote. So it's not surprising that the crew of both resort to survival cannibalism. As we saw in the Donner Party, you get to a point where you need to eat. Yeah. Uh, Five of the crew are eaten after they starve to death, and one of the crew is killed to be eaten. Okay. By the time the survivors are picked up, six and seven weeks after leaving Henderson Island, nearly three months oh, since the Essex God. had sunk, only five of them are left alive. And that's three okay. in Owen Chase's boat, including Owen Chase, and two right. in Captain Pollard's boat, including Captain Pollard.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: As you can imagine, the survivors are barely alive. Right, right. Owen Chase's boat was rescued by a British ship called Indian. And he and two members, he and two crew members, the boat steerer Benjamin Lawrence and the seaman Thomas Nickerson, both from Nantucket, were taken to Valparaiso, Chile, to recover. Okay. Captain Pollard and Charles Ramsdell, who was also from Nantucket, were nearly at the Chilean coast by the time they were rescued. They have completely missed the Robinson Crusoe Islands. And they are so... Close to death that they're completely disassociating. When they're picked up, they don't know what's happening to them. Okay. Um, They're almost catatonic. They're taken to Valparaiso, where they recover with Owen Chase and the two other survivors. And eventually they're put on another whale ship, the Two Brothers, which is on its way back from whaling and takes everyone home to Nantucket. Okay. I have to tell you in April of 1821 the Australian merchant ship Surrey stops at Henderson yeah. Island and rescues the three survivors there. So the guys who stayed on Henderson Island survived. They were not in great shape
1: because yeah, the island minute. cannot
0: support <laughs> human life. life. <laughs> yeah. um, but they were but, but they they survived. they survived and they went in the other direction. They went to Australia.
1: Okay. You know what Good on him.
0: Right. <laughs> of the 21 men who set sail from Nantucket aboard the Essex, only eight survived, plus lucky Jeez. Henry DeWitt, who deserted in Ecuador.
1: Yes. Henry DeWitt is the real hero of this story, I feel. I, I wonder mean, if he had a to... premonition or if he just was w-
0: incredibly bored and wanted to. I, I think he just <laughs> understood this was while. not
1: the job for him. Yeah.
0: With the exception of the three sailors who survived by staying on Henderson Island. The yeah. five other survivors were also Nantucketers, although the crewmen born and raised on Nantucket were only nine out of the 22. So less than half, but way right. more than half of the survivors. Sure, Yeah. yeah. As I yeah. told you before, a third of the crew were black men, but the only black survivor of the trip was Henry DeWitt. I, um, and then interestingly, it was the higher ranking crew members who survived, the mates well, and captain yeah. and boat steers.
1: That checks out.
0: It's almost like what you see on the Donner Party, where yeah.
1: they protect those certain closest to them demographics
0: first. did fine, yeah, yeah. and others yep. were just decimated. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah it's not uh, <laughs> egalitarian society breaks down real fast when you have to resort to cannibalism to survive.
0: It's that's pretty much the worst. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I think yeah.
0: the decisions that groups make yeah. at that point are really fascinating tragic horrifying really interesting And
1: they can't be right but they also can't really be dissected to to the point because it it's such a desperate situation that of course anything that anyone does in those circumstances can be justified in a way
0: no and listen i'm sitting here i've just had my dinner i'm gonna go to bed in a few (laughs) minutes (laughs) I am not in a position to judge anyone's decisions (laughs) in any of these circumstances. Yeah,
1: absolutely not. No, no, no. Neither of Um, us are. It's just, it's, it's an awful, awful, awful set of choices that you're presented with. So you're, you're choosing the one that keeps you alive mm -hmm. and maybe somebody else. I mean, if it came down to it and only one person could survive in each of those boats, then, you know, that's how it, it goes. It's it's awful and it's horrible. And it's also impossible, just like with the Donner Party, to pass judgment on it.
0: Yeah. The people who did live, the survivors, went right back to sea after they got what? home to Nantucket. Yep. No. Yeah.
1: No. Y- y- you need some time off, man. You need to go talk with somebody. So
0: <laughs> Owen Chase took four months on the island to write his memoir, Narrative of the Most Extraordinary and yes. Distressing Shipwreck of the Whaleship Essex. Yep. Uh, and then he shipped out. He was 23 years old when he Good continued his career. Okay. He also had a long career as a whaling captain. Uh, I thought this was interesting. He married Matthew Joy's widow, who died oh. after giving birth to their daughter in 1832. Oh. Yeah, he actually went through four wives.
1: Oh, my God. But
0: that was the one where I was like, how did you reconcile that in your head? Owen Chase died in 1869. Okay. Uh, Thomas Nickerson, who was all of 15 years old when he survived this trip, he also had a very long life. He spent most of his life at sea and eventually became a captain of merchant vessels before retiring and going into the hotel business in Nantucket. (laughs) Okay. In the 1870s, he wrote a memoir of the voyage of the Essex called The Loss of the Ship Essex Sunk by a Whale and the Ordeal of the Crew in Open Boats. Again, a title where you know exactly what you're getting. That is exactly the story. Perfect. Captain Pollard, incredibly unlucky man. He also went back to sea in 1822. He actually okay. was given the captaincy of the ship that had brought them back, the two brothers. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. He made it all the way to the Hawaiian Islands before he ran the two brothers into a reef. It sunk. And he and his whole crew had to spend two days in their whaleboats before being picked up. Would you want Captain Pollard in your whaleboat nope. at this point?
1: <laughs> nope. Nope. The games of Never Have I Ever would get real uncomfortable real quick.
0: <laughs> I, I <laughs> cannot imagine how uncomfortable that was.
1: Oh my God, no.
0: After that, no one would hire him for anything having to do with whaling or sailing. Okay. Uh, understandably, he's a little bit of a bad luck charm at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, at that point, you've had your chance.
0: Yeah, he does move back to Nantucket and he spends decades as the island's night watchman, which seems like a nice. Oh. Okay. A nice shore job, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: On a final note, one last sidebar for you. Since sure. we're over an hour now. <laughs> that's all right. It's all right. The attack of the Essex was definitely a freak occurrence, but it's not completely yeah. unique. So in 1851, another whaling ship, the Anne Alexander, was sunk in the Pacific by a whale that had been harpooned but not killed. Okay. So they threw the harpoon into it. The whale turned around. It bit the whaleboat in half. It what? And then it rammed and sank the ship itself, the Anne Alexander. Wow. And it was the same thing. The whale knocked a hole in the bow. Um, The ship filled with water, and it was gone within 10 minutes. Jeez. Yeah. Unlike the Essex, Uh, however, this time the 22-man crew survived, Okay. and they were picked up two days later by another whaler, while the whale developed an infection from the harpoon and was dying when it was killed by another whale ship. It is possible that sperm whales attacked and sunk more whaling ships.
1: There's just nobody around to talk about it. Right.
0: (laughs) But no witnesses, no survivors. Yeah.
1: Okay, Okay. Because
0: obviously they could do it. Yeah. You
1: know? (laughs) uh, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) They possess the tools.
0: He's still on Team Whale. Team Whale, whale, man. I'm on Team Whale. And that is the story of the sinking of the whale ship Essex.
1: That is wild. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine, first of all, uh, putting aside as much as we can the absolutely horrific circumstances of them being stuck out at sea. Mm -hmm. But, like, can you just uh, uh, imagine being. In a position where you are in the middle of nowhere and a giant animal has just destroyed your only means of conveyance. Like that is, that's some horror movie stuff right there. So I've got to ask, in all of your research for this, did you ever run across any mention of mocha dick? Oh yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Can we talk mocha dick real quick?
0: Mocha dick is an albino sperm whale who haunts the coast of south america he is spotted yeah. by several dozen whale ships and each time they tell the story they're like you guys will not believe what appeared out of the fog one morning yeah a ghost whale i mean he first was of all, enormous he
1: was giant yeah. yeah he was yeah, at yeah. least 80 feet
0: long God. and he also had barnacles growing all over him and he was scarred because so many people had tried to throw harpoons at him sure. and could never catch him mocha dick is the inspiration for the whale for in moby dick yeah, moby dick, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he also has this kind of like ghostly like a supernatural whale. Sure. He's like the whale that haunts the whalers. I, I love it. He's, He's a, a cool character. Every part of it. Yeah. yeah. Um and there may have been more than one, but sure, yeah. several albino whales were killed. You know, one year of yeah. whaling saw the deaths of about seven thousand whales. Oh my god. So it's completely possible that there were multiple albino whales who just Sure. sure. Yeah given the numbers that were in play here, yeah
1: sheer numbers game yeah but yeah i
0: like the story of mocha dick one of my favorite whale ghost stories
1: i love it well that was crazy thank you so much for listening to uh this episode of relative disasters we do fact check our story in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible if you'd like to read more about our sources a more complete bibliography is available in our show notes if we got anything wrong Please let us know.
0: You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to share some insights we missed or just shame us publicly. I can't imagine how many (laughs) wailing things I got wrong here. Why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters? What do we have for housekeeping?
1: Well, I wanted to take a minute to talk about our Patreon because we've gotten a few questions and I want to make sure that our intentions with using Patreon are clear um first of all the podcast is free and will remain so we're not going behind a paywall we're not going to be doing patreon exclusive content we're certainly not moving to a paid model the patreon is simply there for any listener who likes the show we make and wants to give us some cash for it second some folks have asked if they can pay more to which we say sure uh we only have one tier of donors which is uh set to five dollars per month but you may choose to pay more than that if you feel so inclined by choosing a greater financial amount when it asks
0: uh just one more note about the patreon we are hoping to stay ad free um yes but on the other hand this show is a part-time job for both of us Yeah. <laughs> and we do also have full-time jobs so if you love the show and you love that it's ad free we really appreciate your your donations on patreon thank yeah. you very much
1: i really do yeah we really appreciate it, thank you, thank you. Uh, we
0: would like to shout um, out to a couple oh, yes, of we... Patreons every episode sorry, a couple of patrons Patreons,
1: patrons 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 <laughs> sounds like robots the patrons Give me uh, two yeah patron anyone who anyone who donates to the patreon gets a uh, a they get a special shout out at at the we'll now do it at the end of each episode uh so today's patron sponsors are suzanne Suzanne famous for dropping the torch at the 1904 Olympics into a puddle. And Lynn, did you also want to shout Lynn? Or
0: Lynn! You... We adore you, Lynn. I think that Thank should, you. <laughs> I think that should
1: be our thing. Like, I'll say the name and you just excitedly say it again. Who was responsible for handling the shipping manifest on the HMS Pinafore on its maiden voyage.
0: Great job. Great job, both of
1: you. Good job, Lynn. Uh, so if you want another, if you want a fake disaster, uh, come be a patron and and from here on out we just did our first two patrons who who uh donated to us but from here on out it will be a random selection uh right before we start recording our episodes
0: and we truly appreciate everyone who donates to the show and everyone who encourages us with kind words and everyone who listens you guys are awesome
1: you guys are amazing thank you thank you thank you
0: uh keeping the ball rolling though we want to have more episodes so what are we going to do next week
1: well, <clears throat> for next week, uh for our next strange, dangerous and interesting event from history. Yes. Uh I am <clears throat> how, What do you know about good sport riots, Ella?
0: I know a little too much. I am researching a couple <laughs> right now. They yep. fill me with bad feelings.
1: Yes. And and as well they should because they're not they're not great things, but I'm going to talk about a riot That was so bad Mm -hmm. that it burned down nearly half of the capital city of the Byzantine Empire.
0: I'm sorry. Was this a football match gone wrong?
1: (laughs) Close. It was a chariot race with lots of underlying political reasons. So uh, next week, we are going to talk about the amazing story of the Nika riots.
0: I am already so afraid. (laughs) are there horses in this do horses get hurt
1: no no horses are harmed in the making of the next episode
0: phew all right that actually sounds super fascinating can't wait talk to you later (laughs)